Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. This podcast is now brought to you by Bracken.Design, an assets company that are now giving Creative Waffle listeners 20% off if you use code WAFFLE20 at checkout. With Bracken, there's no limited PSD templates or Photoshop actions that will rasterize your type. This means that they're really easy to use and they can give your work that little extra edge, especially when you're creating sports graphics, textures are absolutely key and using premium textures can really set you apart. So there's a link down in the description below and if you use WAFFLE20 at checkout, then you'll get 20% off. Please do go and check them out. They're well worth using in your work and with that 20% discount, they're absolute steal. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Where are you again in the world? I can't remember. Um, I am a little outside Philadelphia. So if you're familiar with the East Coast of the U.S., um, a little south of New York Mm. and north of Washington, D.C., if you kind of picture the East Coast of the U.S. and maybe like three quarters of the way up towards the top. Um, But yeah, it's uh, it's on the eastern seaboard. Are we are we live here? well, I mean, we are recording, but we're not, you know, it can be cut out. Uh, <laughs> okay. Again, I, I wasn't sure if we had, like, officially started or not. I don't care. I don't care uh, if we have or not. But um, the... Uh, where you are. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Philadelphia, it's like, we're like an hour, like two hours-ish oh, from yeah. the Atlantic Ocean. So a little, a little ways in off the coast um, and, you know, I guess fairly north call philadelphia like mid-atlantic cool it's a good place yeah have, have you uh ever visited the states yeah so my uh, my wife's american um so that's Shoot. okay that's yeah I think, we, I think you mentioned <laughs> that last time we talked and where's yeah. where's she from again so she's from kentucky um okay. so proper southern um yeah. yeah. Well, it's uh, funny, Kentucky, I mean, like, yeah, I guess it's technically considered more southern. But again, it's funny how, like, the ma- the map doesn't always align with what you imagine, like, north-south. Like, Kentucky's not mm. at, at the very, very bottom of the United yeah. States or anything, but it is kind of has a reputation of being a little more southern. I don't know. I don't know exactly where that line between, like, southern and mid-Atlantic is, but maybe... I don't know, maybe somewhere around Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, how'd you guys meet? So, well, so for me, the the lines like it's basically based on the accent. So it's like, oh like, yeah, that accent, that's actually yeah, <laughs> that's a fair point. That that's probably a good marker. There may not be like a, a specific uh, you know line on the map. It's a little bit it's yeah. a, a blend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, we, we met uh, in London, so she's she's studying over here, and um, then uh, moved over here to study more permanently. Um, she's okay. studying part time. Came here to visit. Anyway, t- Tinder's the answer. Uh, so Tinder is the, is the way. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, that is that's a crack up. One hey, of you the know. only successful marriages on Tinder, I guess. If it, if it were, you should you should contact them and like be a testimonial. <laughs> if they ever if they ever want to like try to reposition their brand, yeah, and, and like take uh, yeah, just like engage the the dating market a little in a, in a different way you could you could be their cover story <laughs> yeah i have a i got a friend who who's been on the podcast actually he, he was uh he did the same thing but for linkedin so he got a job for linkedin and then was in one of the adverts um and it's yeah it's basically did the so did, did that for for linkedin pretty funny oh that's but, uh, cool it's cool yeah yeah it's cool to be in a linkedin advert um yeah. linkedin is funny i feel like you know the different social media sites kind of each have a personality to their their own 
And LinkedIn, I don't know, I feel like LinkedIn gets a little bit of a rat, bad rap because it can be 100%. a little like sleazy, businessy. Uh, it's not as personable as a lot of other platforms, but I've actually found a little more success there just in terms of connecting with other professionals who are trying to take themselves more seriously, sometimes yeah. too seriously, but um, <laughs> in, in, ter in terms of just like connecting with a community who's serious about what they're doing. Um, yeah, no, I 100% agree. I, LinkedIn is probably the place I used, and so to get people on the podcast, I've been using LinkedIn for for the sort of the creative directors and the people in higher positions. Yeah, and then, but that's mainly because of my CV, and my CV is obviously on my LinkedIn. So like, yep. so if I message someone, they're like, oh, who's this guy? And then they click on my CV, and it's got you know Arsenal, Liverpool, sorry, cricket. So it's it's not too bad. Um, and then they think, oh, there's <laughs> a bit of reputation there. Um, so yeah. that's all right. It gives a bit of well, reinforcement no, that, to the stupid message. <laughs> yeah, no, that's perfect. That's like the exact strategy because depending on who you're trying to connect with and reach out to, um, yeah. you know, they might be on Instagram or Twitter or Behance or Dribble or uh, yeah. LinkedIn. And it's like some of those platforms just have a, a different user, user base. And you're mm -hmm. right, LinkedIn definitely probably skews towards the higher end of the creative ladder, so to speak. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, you see a lot of people, the way people write about themselves and promote themselves is interesting. That's that's basically LinkedIn's game, right? So you're, you're trying to promote yourself to potentially open up opportunities in the future. Uh, it's a very it, interesting platform. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny and fine line, right? Trying to, like, yeah, position yourself well, but not sell yourself too hard. Like, you want to be somewhat idealistic about how you're, like you don't want to, you don't want to like put up a facade, but you you want to put mm. your best foot forward, um, and so yeah, you, I think I think most people can tell when somebody's trying a little little too hard or, or overreaching. I mean, good good work speaks for itself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully I've, I've not done that, and hopefully people don't find no, that my LinkedIn's like. I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't think so at all. I mean, I'll be I'll be honest. I haven't checked your LinkedIn. I don't know, maybe you're out there <laughs> putting up putting up some serious claims, but. Uh, I'd, I'd imagine, and most people, I don't know, I don't know, man, like I've, I've followed your stuff for a while, of course, but as soon as anybody checks out any of your content, I think it's, it's pretty clear. You've got like a genuine good intentions. You're not trying to oversell yourself or, or do anything like, uh, you're not trying to extort people for anything. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Anyway. <laughs> not, not yet. <laughs> Just wait. It's, it's all in the master plan. It'll come. <laughs> I uh, appreciate the, the kind words though, um, but yeah, let's let's talk about yourself. That you're on the podcast. I mean, so we've yeah we've known each other for quite a while now, like internet friends for ages. Yeah. Um, probably, what probably since before, maybe even before the podcast, like the early days of the podcast, we we chatted and talked a bit about lacrosse and talked a bit about design and um, a bit about yeah, for just everyday life. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'd have to honestly, I'd have to go back and look. I'm I can't remember when i'm pretty sure it was the creative waffle that that, that first tipped me off mm. to your your work but it must have yeah it must be it must have been a, a fair few years ago by now i'm just yeah. trying to think back because when i first started getting design i was looking around for like podcasts and media content in general around the you know the discipline just to consume you know i was interested in it seeing who was talking about it and I think you must have had something, some sports-related podcast at some point. And I was like, hey, this mm -hmm. is my stuff. 
So there you go. There you go. Yeah, and then sort of I remember you like branching out, and I remember you're like some of your more uh, high profile uh, interviews, and that was awesome to see. So uh, and then you went kind of went dormant for a little while, and now you're back. There we go. Yeah, back on it. Um, yeah, that's a good point actually. They, so the um, I guess people, people now I'm going down more of a sports design route. It, it's interesting to mm-hmm. see who's going to pick up the podcast. And it's probably worth saying to designers, people are listening, maybe new to the podcast, that have had people on like Sagmeister and um, you know some big like Paul Asher and some some bigger designers uh, mm-hmm. in, in the previous version of the podcast, which could be interesting to check out. Um, but yeah, for, so for people who who uh, who well who I don't know you, who who are you and uh, <laughs> and, and introduce yourself to the audience, yeah. Yes, well, hello, audience. My name is Jeremy Nelson. <laughs> um, I'm a designer. I'm an independent brand and identity designer, focusing primarily on sports and um, sports-related uh, companies, businesses, teams, leagues. Um, I do work outside of sports, but at the same time, sports is kind of my concentration. Um, primarily doing logos, illustration, um, and type. So that's... Yeah. That's the short. That's the brief. That's the LinkedIn cover. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is strange saying uh, introduce yourself to the audience because you don't see the audience. It's just when, especially when it's just us two talking, it's like introduce yourself to the audience, but you just just me. Like so, it's a bit. It's really strange saying. Uh, imagining that there's people listening, but um, yeah, nice one. Um, so how? I guess give a bit of an overview of how you got into design and uh, how you found your feet to where you are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I have a little cliche to say I've always been creative. Um, I mean, ever since I was a little kid, I was coloring with crayons and markers and um, making things and drawing things and scribbling. And, um, you know, it just started when I was young, I guess, and never really stopped. Um, I've always had some degree of inclination towards it and been good enough to keep going. Um, you know, there have definitely been different times in my life when I've been more and less excited about it, but it's always, you know, yeah. it's been something that I've come back around to. Um, and again, as far as like the sports stuff, the other big, I guess, interest that I have outside of design and creative endeavors is sport and athletics and fitness. And that sort of stuff that category has always been part of my life as well um you know played sports since i was a little kid and um always really enjoyed it it's uh, different than the creative work we do but very similar in some ways so that combination of sport and creativity was a pretty natural fit and again one that i kind of fell into without too much intention nice yeah uh but it, it, the internet went, but it's all good because I got the button. Oh, shoot. Did we die? Did it die? <laughs> How far back did it die? No, it's all good. It's all good. It's like 10 seconds, but it's all good because we've got oh, the button. Wow. So we, we, can, we can keep going because of the Okay. Well, at least we've got the audio <laughs> recording, I think. Apologies so if, to. If I look at you strangely, that's that's like that's probably why. You know, I didn't even notice. Yeah. Great. Okay. I sorry. Yeah. Well, <laughs> apologies to the audience. Sorry. Sorry, everybody. Yeah, it's, all good. it's all good. Um. But yeah, no. So, so it's all. So, the cross is your, is, was your like was that your first love your first sport? Yes. No, not not at, so I played mm. uh, baseball actually growing up and a little soccer as well, um, and I played baseball through fifth grade, 
uh, which is like the end of what we call elementary school here in the States. Um, And I I didn't like, quote unquote, quit baseball. I just kind of like didn't sign up the next year or I was I was getting a little bit like I just wasn't as as excited about it after, you know, four or five years of playing as as a young kid. And um, literally my mom just brought some lacrosse pads home one day from a garage sale. Like, I don't even remember us having a conversation about me, like being interested in lacrosse or trying it, but she, she saw the pads and grabbed them and was like, Hey, you know, want, we want you to keep playing some, you know, we want you to do something. You're not just going to quit baseball and, and do nothing. And I did too. Like, I didn't want to, like, I love sports, so I was all about it. It, it sounded exciting. I, I really had no idea what I was doing, but um, at that point, actually, I was uh, living out in the Midwest and uh, in, in the Chicago area, and lacrosse was not a big, big sport out there at all. So a lot of people were in the same boat as me, just trying the sport for the first time. So I wasn't like terribly behind the competition, um, but yeah, I got into it, I guess, around middle school, then played through high school and in college and. Um, I mean, I still follow it. I, I love it. It's, uh, I don't, I don't really play as much anymore, but, um, it's a kind of little niche within the sports world that I really enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a niche. I mean, especially over here, it's definitely a niche. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. <laughs> don't get me going on lacrosse. I could talk the whole podcast, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, England is, England has been improving. They've had some solid progress in the international stage. They're kind of, you know, there's kind of a top tier of international competition, and then there's a, a sort of a second tier. But England is right up there at the top of the second tier, where you're like competitive with, uh, you know, all the other nations that aren't United States, Canada, and the Iroquois. So, um, yeah, nice. it, uh, I mean, it's you guys have a good program going. We're all, we're all right. We're all right. Well, we won the cricket World Cup today, and that gives Did- people a. Congratulations. It's got to, <laughs> it's got to be exciting. Of when this was recorded. But yeah, um, yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, especially for, for my job. I mean, it's, that's it's, a, no, that's all. Is yeah. that a pretty like, is that a pretty big thing for, for your country? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so we, so there's a few formats of cricket. Uh, so one's the test, which is, which is the um, four day game, the white traditional game. And there's mm-hmm. the ODI, which is like a whole day game. And then there's the T20, which is a short format, usually about three and a half, four hours long. Mm-hmm. Um, so we won the ODI, I say we, I didn't really have a part in it, but England as a country won the, um, I didn't have any part in it. I didn't have, well, yeah. Moral uh, moral support, <laughs> moral support. Did a graphic for it, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so we won, the, we won the 2019 Cricket World Cup, which was the, uh, for, the, the, the one-day game, so the longer middle format of the game, and then today mm-hmm. we won the, the shorter format. So yeah, we're, we're doing all right in the cricket, we're doing all right, but... Um, is yeah. is the is the longer form still played regularly or like yeah are, okay so yeah I was yeah. Like, I was curious to ask about that if like what the standards are because I know some some sports have been like changing different yeah, ru- rules and structure to make it a little bit more approachable for the, a broader audience or like I don't know I guess rugby sevens versus eleven or mm-hmm. is it eleven or fifteen the total fifteen yeah fifteen. And, and same thing, just like speed, you know, a match that takes four days is a bit of a commi- commitment. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so I can imagine to make it a little more accessible, like a, a trimming down to one match is... Uh, well, this is it. The... Yeah, exactly. So this is it. So um, they, they've been trying to battle this for a while now, a few years, and mm-hmm. coming up with different competitions and different formats. 
um, and we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of people navigate to this new sort of domestic competition in in the UK called the hundred, which is a hundred balls per team, and um, that's even shorter than uh, even shorter than the T20 uh, format. So, wait a so, do yeah, you, so, what's the like the broader sentiment in the cricket community? Are people on board with that, or is is that something people are? Yeah, like, you know, that's having a, a great time question. Adjusting to. Yeah, it's a great question. So you have people, uh, which, um, so I, my perception is because I might get some people from work might listen to this and I might get told off for, uh, for the for not getting this right. But my perception is that the older members and older fans of cricket tend to like the old the the, the four day mm-hmm. format, the more traditional stuff, and then the mm-hmm. younger newer fans tend to navigate towards the shorter formats of the of the game. Um, so there is a bit of a split, and it's caused quite a lot of debate in the cricket cricket world. So having having a new formats, new competitions, um, and where money is being made and where where it's being raised. So yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. But uh, it is it is an interesting conversation though to try to decide where like the the heart of the sport, where the the true essence of it lies, and to yeah. make sure that that is preserved and prioritized, while other elements can be like you know adjusted, pushed, pulled, or changed. Again, like you said, to, to advance the sport, like sport is, uh, you know, in competition for our attention and, and uh, you know, to, to draw in fans and an audience and whatnot. And if it if it's not competitive, it's not going to survive. Yeah. So yeah. I also think like the, the, I'm trying to think about why they would have made it four days or, or even five days sometimes yeah. at the start of cricket. Like, why, why would they have made it? Because like, they do call it a test match. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, maybe the cricket cricket was so leisurely at that point that it was it had to be <laughs> drawn out for five days. I don't I, know. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I wouldn't want to. I, I can't make uh, assumptions, but maybe it was the sort of thing that, like, to to play a match of cricket to for one team to travel to meet the other team. It was such yeah. a big effort that mm-hmm. you know we're not just going to like you know travel this whole way and then play a couple hours of game and go back. You know, no, we'll. Yeah. We'll play, you know, we'll play for four days, and maybe the attitude of it was a little, almost like a series of games that we have now, you know, like best best of five, best of seven, yeah, or whatever, yeah. where like a single game was actually more like a series is now, and the rules just haven't really changed since then. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a great point. Um, the thing I love about cricket is it's, you get so, it's so old. I mean, so my, the club I work for is uh, 177 years old, which that's is crazy. crazy. Yeah. That's uh, wild. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, that's one of the oldest. That's something that's really cool about about sports uh, in Europe and in other parts of the the world. Whereas, I mean, like it's it. Don't get me wrong. It's cool when there are some some teams here in the states that are celebrating, you know, fifty, seventy five, a hundred years. But then, mm. I mean, if you're talking like one hundred fifty, two hundred years, or whatever, over uh, on your end, that's that's a lot of history. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot, especially for. Um, for most sports organisations in the UK, uh, yeah, that's great. But uh, lacrosse, so tell me a bit more about lacrosse and how that league structure works and who are the big teams. Oh boy, yeah, it's it's, it's been a wild ride actually in the recent years. So um, there's college, of course, d- sort of yep. Division One, Two, Three, just like any other sport, um, a couple different club levels. But then the professional leagues. There, I mean, to be honest, in the past like 20-ish years, there have been a number of different professional leagues um, that have come and gone. Some merged with others. Some, you know, are, are are active and then fold. It's basically split into two 
major leagues at this point. Uh, the NLL, which is an indoor version of the game, uh, which is played uh, basically on hockey rinks with turf covering it. Mm. So it's played in an indoor arena. The goals are smaller. Uh, there's fewer players. Uh, there are some different rules about what you can and can't do in terms of checking and hitting people. And, um, you know, like the, the, the bones of it are the same, but there are a lot of there are a lot of differences. And I don't want to I don't want to like position the two as identical because there really are some serious differences. But the outdoor version um, is kind of the more classic American version, if you want to say that the the uh, the indoor version is played a little bit more prominently in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um which is just because it's cold up there yeah. and they have more snow on the ground from a longer time part of the year. Um, but uh, down here in the States, field is a little bit more common. Um, previously, there was a, a league called Major League Lacrosse, which is, I forget when it was founded. It was, it was around for about 20 years-ish. Um, uh, but then more recently, uh, a league called the PLL, the Premier Lacrosse League, was founded, I want to say, like... Uh, 2018, a couple years ago, um, they started up, they actually had a couple years overlapping at the same time when they were operating at the same time as the MLL. There was a little bit of competition mm-hmm. between the two. Uh, the PLL ended up absorbing the MLL, so now we're back to one outdoor lacrosse league, which is good. Everybody's nice. kind of in the same league. Um, I mean, the main challenge for lacrosse is just like expanding beyond the the like core audience i mean there are lacrosse nuts out there just like me who will who will always watch and will love it and enjoy it but appealing to a broader audience is i mean i mean is the challenge for any fringe sport if you want to call it that yeah. so yeah um yeah right now there see there's don't quote me i want to say there's eight teams in in the outdoor league so it's not a big league but they again they've got a solid fan base uh in terms of like core fans that will continue to support them. Um, they're moving in the right direction. The league's run by like one of the best players, former players in the world. His name's Paul Rabel. Um, like big time uh, player turned entrepreneur slash businessman slash league owner operator, nice. um, which I think a lot of people are excited that there's somebody who understands the sport behind it yeah. you know it's not like some uh no you know unknown investor is is behind yeah, things that's what you want that's what you want in sport because we've got um I mean, for example now liverpool football club are up for sale my, my club i support and mm-hmm. the whole conversations about who's going to take over and there's a huge worrying conversation because normally it's someone that doesn't really know the club or doesn't you know the ideal situation is obviously someone that knows the club either a former yeah. player probably doesn't have enough money to buy the club but someone who, who will bring in like Ola, so for example like Ola, there's a German team called Bayern Munich and they they um, have Oliver Kahn who is next goalkeeper of theirs absolute legend in football mm-hmm. and uh, he's the CEO of Bayern Munich um, and same with sorry cricket we have next uh, South African uh, cricket player who's, who's our CEO and it's, it makes such a difference having someone that knows the sport so I can understand oh. that yeah it's it's huge, and I mean every this is one one thing I appreciate about appreciate about sports is like the little, the nuances and uniqueness that each sport has, the sort of subculture that each sport has, and you can tell when somebody is trying to speak to your community but really doesn't know like the yeah. the details, they don't understand it, so that that is definitely a challenge, and it's like it's a real it's a real challenge in this like professional sports world because sports are a business at heart um, mm-hmm. as much as like we enjoy the sort of the 
purity of the game, if you want to call it that, whatever sport of choice you have, um, like these teams wouldn't be operating if they didn't make money. And so that's uh, something they need to do. It is difficult though, right? Like I guess from an investment and management perspective to, to try to find that right owner, that right leader who can appreciate it. And at the same time, you don't want to narrow your potential leadership pool to only people from your little group because then maybe you won't, you know, find the person who's best suited to actually lead the team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I, again, it's, 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 it's a, it's a different kind of challenge, I guess, the business side of sports. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's interesting. I, mean, that's, I, I love it. I mean, that's why I've got into the partnership design and, and working in, in partnerships mm-hmm. in Liverpool and, um, and, and Arsenal. Uh, yeah. Like, it's fascinating, the, the, whole, the whole money side of it and how that supports buying players because it is sometimes the biggest part of a club, right? The, the money side yeah. of thing, or the, the partnership side and um, investment side of it. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Is there much money in lacrosse? Say, say again? Is there much money in lacrosse? Like how, how uh, do they get paid um, more? I would say for, it's probably, I mean, there's money in lacrosse, but it's not like uh, the cash machine that, that plenty of other yeah. leagues are. Uh, at the same time, again, it's growing. There, there have been, um, you know, like the leagues are, the outdoor league and indoor league have both been growing. A big thing, again, has been uh, sports betting, coming onto the scene for yep. lacrosse, I think has been helpful just in, in terms of engaging the audience in a, in a new and different way. Um, you know, but I, I don't think like, I think a lot of big investors in the lacrosse world probably have, uh, you know, both a hope for a financial return as well as some interest in seeing the game and the sport grow and develop. Go so ahead. it's like a lot of the big, uh, like like Joe Sai, one of the guys who owns the Brooklyn Nets, also owns um, one of the indoor franchises. I, I, I'm spacing off the top of my head. But uh, he's a former lacrosse player. So you get that a lot where there's somebody who's like got a connection uh, to the sport and wants to see the sport grow, but is also established in the business world and sees it as a business opportunity. Nice. Um, I mean, it's, it's hard to tell, but I think a lot of the sentiment is like, uh, seeing what was the MLS maybe like 15 or 20 years ago, that it's like a league that's growing, it has potential, mm. um, but it's just, it hasn't quite broken into that next level yet. So it's di- sure I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult to say though, because again, the, c- the competition is steep and every, every startup sees themselves in that same light, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it'll... I... Like it is, I I haven't watched the game fully, but I do find it fascinating. Like the and also, yeah, like just these it's, fringe sports is fascinating. It yeah, it's difficult where it's not. Yeah, the nuances of the game are hard to appreciate if you don't really understand the rules, if you don't mm. understand the strategies, um, and especially also like if you've never tried or never played. Some some sports are a little easier to like. I've never played a game of rugby, but I can imagine what it's like. I mean, within a certain degree. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't want to feel what it's like to you know take a shot to the gut, <laughs> trying to run the yeah. ball down the field. But like, you can kind of imagine. Whereas other sports, like stick and ball sports, or more like like sports that engage the body in ways that you might not normally. Um, are a little harder again it's harder to appreciate maybe like hockey is a good example too where like if you've never mm. skated it's hard to appreciate how difficult and how incredible yeah. some of the stuff they do is 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, well, rugby is a... We should probably go on to design stuff in a minute, but rugby <laughs> is a... No, yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> As I, I, we go uh, school, we, so we start at school and um, we played rugby, cricket and football, really. They're our main mm-hmm. three sports in England. And, um, so I've never really been into rugby and I mainly only played it because my friends were playing it at school. I was never really good at it and I broke my thumbs playing it and <laughs> all sorts of stuff. And it's I caught... Honestly, catching a rugby ball bad is it's just it's just such, oh, such yeah. a pathetic injury. Yeah, but it cut, I got around the top of it, just bent my thumb backwards and broke it. Dude, yeah. okay, same exact <laughs> thing except with football. It was uh, uh, we had a gym class. We were we were playing our like Thanksgiving football game. Nice. Caught it straight, just jammed straight on the end of my middle finger. Broke yeah. it. Had to have it pinned up and, and cast it. And, I mean that's just that's just the risk of sport sometimes you can't avoid that but it, it just certainly <laughs> puts a sour taste in the mouth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Ever since then, I've uh, I've always been scared of it to be honest because you because you get people that are really into it in, in England and um, <laughs> you know they actually play for teams at the weekend and stuff even in school. And we had, we had a guy who was, was really good and he, you know he's one of these people that's very good at every sport and uh, mm-hmm. he plays uh, for Surrey and you know, he's, he's running at you and he's. You know, pretty big for you know for a 13 15 13 14 year old um yeah you don't want to, you don't want to be trying to tackle him and i was a, the guy uh, a position called fullback which is the last person before you can score a try uh-huh. and, um I, I guess the idea is to put me out of the, out of the way and you know hopefully the, the ball doesn't get to me so yes i was last but um but basically is you're the last person to, to to shield your own i don't know your own zone i guess so yeah it's it's a big job for a person that wasn't wasn't interrupted. <laughs> but um, hey, oh, man. we got through it. But now we're now we, yeah, now we're just massively into cricket and football, so it's all good. <laughs> and ice hockey now. I'm, I'm getting into hockey. That's good. Yeah, um, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm following Nashville Predators. Unfortunately, um, I've learned they're not well, very good. You said that's your your wife's team. I'm assuming. So they're closest to. Yeah, it's the closest to where uh, my wife lives. So yeah. um, so for football, I inherited the team. Um, and cricket, uh, just put, pick my local team. So I thought I'd do the same with ice hockey, pick the closest team to somewhere, not rather than just picking the good team, right? So um, they're okay. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you. I haven't kept track of this the NHL season too much yet, but I know in the last couple of years, and there was might have been a couple of years ago, Nashville had a pretty strong run. So they're not, they're not bad. Right. They're, they're constant playoff. They seem to be a constant playoff team. They're um, a contender. So that's all right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So they're all right. But uh, for people, for, for for in football terms, it's probably maybe like a Crystal Palace sort of like mid-table. Sometimes they'll have a good year, and then sometimes yeah, maybe like a Fulham. Maybe yeah. Anyway, so interesting to compare it to other teams. But uh, yeah, but yeah, that must. I'm just thinking that must, if you ever try to watch any games, that must be pretty late out on your end. Oh, yeah. So I did try last year. And this year now I found some dodgy websites that allow me to watch it as a replay. There you um, go. There you go. That yeah. are totally legal. So, yeah, it's, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I think, I don't know if ESPN broadcasts all the games now, but I think they ESPN picked up a broadcast partnership with NHL. I think last year was their first year. So they have a, a, a fair number of games. And you this can, is it. I think ESPN so, Plus is not not. I'm not trying to like pitch ESPN Plus or anything, but I think it's only a couple. <laughs> it's only a couple bucks a month, and then you get like the good quality stuff. 
No, exactly. This is it. So I would I would happily pay for that if they had all the games on replay, but I can't seem to find a streaming service that Not does there. all of the Nashville Predators games. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's exactly, so, that's, that's the issue, because depending on whatever, you know, rights agreement they've signed to it might not mm-hmm. have the games you're looking for yeah they tend to do all the bigger games um so yes. so anyway, but uh yeah we'll, we'll we'll live for now until See, they make a streaming keep, keep, so. yeah keep the fingers crossed hopefully they make playoffs <laughs> and then they'll be on for sure exactly exactly um yeah so let's get into some design chat uh, about half an hour into the podcast but uh i hope people enjoyed that the ramblings but uh yeah so what so so I found out to, only today uh, that you worked at Adidas. I didn't know that. Well, Adidas, yeah. you say. Um, that is I, I don't know if I just Adidas. didn't look at. <laughs> I didn't know if you. I just didn't look at your LinkedIn or, or didn't remember that. But um, tell me. Or maybe about, I just didn't pitch your... myself hard enough. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> tell me about your time. Uh, your time there, because that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, that was actually more or less how I got my start, if we want to call it that. Yeah. Um. But I worked at this this group. It's kind of like an internal creative department called the SLD, the Sports License Division, which was under the Adidas Adidas umbrella. Um, which is the but, right way. Tell me, tell me which way. You say well, we say. I mean, we say Adidas, but I know yeah. Adidas is the proper way to say it. So <laughs> you know, like you can, you know, I think either way, people know what you're talking about. But nice. I guess yeah, around here, if you said Adidas, people would be like, "Ooh, it's sophisticated." <laughs> um, I mean, we just say Adidas, but anyway, um, yeah, it was kind of an internal creative department. I, I worked out of Reebok's headquarters, which was in the Boston area. Again, if you're familiar, like if you're thinking mm-hmm. uh, where that is, it's a little north of New York. Mm. Um, but I, I was there. I started in what was called an apprentice position, so it was basically like a like a one year tryout, if you will, for yeah. a more permanent position. Um, and you know, after a year, I, I, I made the cut and stuck around for about two more years in what was basically like a generalist design position within this uh, SLD group. And our role was basically providing design services of, of various kinds, some like brand and identity work, as well as some uh, like apparel and uniform design, as well as some just, again, like generalist marketing content. And this was really before, this was like, I'm thinking back, this would have been like 2015, 16-ish. Um, so this was before like social, me- social media design really took off. I mean, it, it was out there and it existed, but yeah. it, it just was not the like content machine that it is now so yeah, the community's grown massively since then. yeah, yeah. it's night and day night and day i mean behance was around dribble was around dribble was a bigger thing back then uh or at least it felt like a bigger thing maybe there are just more platforms now where people share their work but um yeah dribble and behance were kind of like the, the go-to places back then but um, yeah, when I started there, I was mostly, I was building a lot of pitch decks. So like we would have pitch decks to teams and leagues and whatnot. Uh, yeah, again, I should clarify the SLD mostly worked with the leagues, teams and organizations that Adidas, uh, Adidas had a partnership with, uh, or Reebok again, because kind of nice. we were under, under both umbrellas. So 
that was like the UFC, the MLS, uh, the very, very tail end of the NBA, um, the NHL. A, a big part of what I was involved with was when uh, Adidas took over the NHL contract for uniforms and team identity and a lot of their design design stuff. So, nice. um, again, yeah, I was there. It was a pretty uh, diverse role in terms of what I did. Again, some of it was like logo and identity work similar to what I do now, but uh, there was a lot of sort of, again, a lot of deck building, um, even some like photography and multimedia work, a little bit of animation and um, just all over the board. So that was, yeah. yeah, again, more or less where I got my start. Amazing. That's wicked. Yeah. So, what, I mean, what were in these decks? Um, what, what, like, what were you pitching? Yeah, I mean, a lot of them were just presentation decks. So mm-hmm. if you imagine, like, uh, you know, a, a, a new uniform is going to be pitched to an NHL team. Let's just take that, for example, um, because, the, again, that was kind of what a large portion of our focus was. Um, you know, obviously, you have to have the, the content, the proposed design directions, and typically that's like the uniforms, the marks that would go on the uniforms, any sort of name and number system. And then there's always, uh, you know, a portion of the deck that tries to communicate communicate the strategy and thinking that's that's going on behind the design. I mean, sometimes the the thought process and strategy is pretty pretty obvious when you look at the design, but sometimes there's a lot of uh, details and depth behind the design choices that aren't surface level. And so there's a lot of the times, just, you know, kind of a, a narrative portion to the deck that sets up. Uh, you know, sort of positions the design in a certain lens so that when the, you know, the team owners or whoever is seeing the deck understands to a greater degree why the choices that were made were made. Yeah, got you. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. So is that where you, where you did the work for the Flyers? Um, and Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, was a, that was actually really, really, that was a really unique and fun opportunity. Um, my, uh, I got to give a shout out to, to Dom Fillion, my old boss, uh, great guy, runs an agency called Convoy, still in the Boston area. So shout out to Dom, go check him out. He's the man. Um, but yeah, he knew I was, again, I was kind of new on the scene, but he knew I was from Philly and uh, the, the Flyers were celebrating their 50th anniversary. And so he was, you know, uh, let me take a shot at, at designing those uniforms. It was not yeah. like the boundaries for what was an acceptable exploration was, was pretty narrow. Like he gave yeah. a pretty, pretty tight creative brief, which was good to kind of give me some guardrails. But um, it being the 50th year, the main prompt was integrating a, a gold accent into their uniforms. Um, but then kind of staying within the framework of what is a classic flyers look without changing yeah. too much. So, um, yeah, that was a, a fun one. Again, fairly, fairly straightforward because of his, his guidance. Um, and I thank him for that, but, uh, definitely a cool one, especially being again from, from Philly now, I would say. hundred percent. Yeah. That's wicked. I, I've always liked their, uh, their logo, their, their identity and, and they're, they're so striking in that orange as well. Yeah. Uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. There's, there's not a lot of, uh, like bright orange teams like that. Um, yeah, and I'm obviously you know hometown team, so I'm a little I'm a little biased, but they're they're the flying P is a classic classic look. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and their their new retro uh, reverse retro range that that, that they've done. Uh, who who is 
Yeah. Who is it now? Who's 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 the sponsor? The kit maker. Well, I forgot. No, it's still it's still Adidas. Adidas is, is still yeah. they're still on board, and I think they're on board through. Again, don't quote me, but I want to say through the twenty twenty four season. Yeah, um, right. so they got a couple a couple years yeah. left on the contract, but after that, it is to be decided. Uh, at least mm. at least to my knowledge. Um, but yeah, they started that. Again, I gotta give one other shout out to Frank DePinto, one of my old other uh, bosses. Uh, yeah, no, he's the man. Um, again, go go check him out. Uh, he uh, he was the one who kind of led the initial um, reverse retro program. He's he's no longer with Adidas, but uh, he sort of got that off the ground in year one, and then now they've carried it on. I think this is either the I want to say third year, maybe second year, um, maybe only the second year. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but um, yeah, it's th- those are fun looks, and I think that's uh, something exciting that the you know, it's a it's a fresh look that each team can enjoy, but it's not um, it's not too disruptive to their to their brand system because they only wear the the uniforms occasionally, and it's not yeah. gonna like compromise uh, anything that the each each fan base really holds dear. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think sports fans especially love that stuff. I mean, oh, yeah. in football, whenever a team does. Uh, like a red, like Arsenal have been nailing it recently with their kits, um, absolutely flying. And it's it's just mm-hmm. because they've been taking assets from previous years and also different kit manufacturers as well. Like, mm-hmm. like Adidas have they're their current partner and they've been taking um, you know, bits and bobs from the old Nike uh, uh, shirts and then using them in their current designs. And it's I'm not sure how I mean it must be legal to do that, but it's but it's it's like it's just crazy how much the fans love that stuff. And yeah. like, going back to they did a I mean I, Arsenal have tons and tons of kits but going back to um, even even doing like a, a retro 19 I think it was 7, 1972 yellow um, mm-hmm. one for like like a because they won the FA they did the FA Cup and League double that year so then last year they made a, a, like, a like a reverse retro style mm-hmm. shirt where it's like hinting back at that and it's yellow and um, they went back to the Royal Crest as well so yeah, fans love that stuff and it's fantastic to see it come back because some of the old designs of, of jerseys and shirts are just incredible and so simple as well. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, some, some people definitely feel that it's overkill and too many variations may like dilute the iconic look that it, that a team might have. But I think as long as it's done consciously and it's not like, again, it's not too disruptive, then I think it's mm. great. It's like you said, the fans enjoy it. It is a merchandising opportunity for the team, for sure. I mean, again, they wouldn't be doing it if it didn't make money. But mm. again, it's it's fun, it's fresh, it's kind of like a, like a seasonal line of apparel that it's out for a little while. You can you know get on the train if you enjoy it, um, and then there's a new one next year. Well, that's it, absolutely. And, and Adidas and um, and Arsenal, and then PSG and and Nike. I think they're currently the two best teams that are, mm-hmm. are doing the whole. We're also a fashion brand. Like the the Adidas uh, Arsenal stuff, they release a new. It feels like they release a new like drop every every week. Like it's crazy how much they release. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't even try to keep track of all the kit launches these days. That's one thing with the soccer world is there's just so there's so many teams. There's between all the different leagues and all the different levels um, of leagues, it it feels like there's a new launch like every other day. So, yeah. which is great. Um, I mean, or exciting if you're a soccer fan and, and love that. It's just a lot to keep track of. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm just going to quickly put my charger in because my ch- <laughs> laptop's yeah. dying. I, there's one thing I didn't do before the podcast is plug the laptop in. Um, <laughs> that's so yeah, rookie, I, I almost, I almost have to keep my laptop plugged in all the time. Not all the time, but uh, I've got fairly, I think it's a 2016 MacBook, so the battery does oh, yeah. not hold its charge uh, <laughs> quite as well anymore. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. It's that, that bad feeling when all of a sudden you're like, shoot, I'm running low. We're in. We're plugged in. But yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, amazing. So, talk, like, so, so the pitch decks, that's a fascinating thing that I've never really um, been able to ask anyone. So yeah. how, what's... Uh, is there different concepts in the in the pitch decks, or is it just one concept? Um, and are most of the projects um, restricted very heavily by brand guidelines? Well, again, it's I think a lot of it comes down to the specifics of the project and team, like what is right. being explored. Um, a lot of the uh, parameters of exploration are, are defined before the first presentation is made. Not always, but usually there's some agreement of like what breadth and depth of exploration will be engaged by the design team, um, just so like kind of both both parties know what's what the rules of engagement are, so to speak. Again, not always the case, but there's typically some sort of guidelines. Um, but again, it's it's very project specific. Like there might be one project where there's a much tighter creative direction the team might know or have a, a clearer idea of what they're going for. And so there might only be, you know, three different options presented. But I think more typically, at least in my experience, you know, the first round is always like the widest net is cast, so to speak. Um, and again, this is just variable depending on what the what's being provided. So if it's like a uniform design, there might be fewer directions presented as compared to um, like a new a new logo maybe depending on mm. what type of organization that might be and again this is also very client dependent so the yeah there's a science and then these there's like the art of and I'm no expert yet um, but I think part of uh, like a, a seasoned designers skill set is knowing knowing and having the intuition and sensitivity of like how many options and directions to present because some some clients and teams want to see everything and they're like, yeah. you know, show us everything. We want to be involved in every, you know, making every decision. And if you don't show them enough, they'll feel like, you know, you're cutting them out of the process. Like they'll want to see it to know that it was done. And then you'll get other clients who are like, would be overwhelmed by that many options and would kind of be paralyzed by having so many directions shown. And so, in that case, it's like you have to be a little bit more judicious about what is presented and what you explore on your own, uh, but decide maybe not to show. Um, again, I, I don't think like I've never I've I've yet to see it. I've yet to see the single strategy of like one logo only being presented or one concept only. Um, typically, I think maybe like three to seven is maybe average again just really dependent on the project and client though mm. do you uh do you have a struggle coming up with that many options uh again i think it's really dependent on the, the team and the yeah. the bounds for creative exploration again sorry to say like answer with a bit of a non-answer <laughs> but that makes I don't know, like, sense i wouldn't yeah. uh, 
the only time when it's challenging is if the bounds for creative exploration are fairly narrow, but the client is asking for a lot of different options. If they're like, we want to see like, you know, seven, eight, ten directions, but you know, but here's what we want, and they almost tell you what they're expecting. Mm. So then you're like, it feels like you're trying to force options into a presentation when you know they're you know weaker than what could be the strongest direction. And um, yeah, that that's not a ideal place to be. So yeah, yeah. Again, it it's difficult to say. Like, I think we all. Uh, or at least I can say for myself, I mean, there are definitely times when you're hitting the wall or not, like the concepts aren't coming as quickly as you'd like them to. But I don't know, I think oftentimes, as long as you have a, you know, a direct and thorough conversation on the front end to, to understand like what opportunities are worth exploring, like there's usually no shortage of material. Yeah, that makes total sense. I know there's some sports clubs, and you usually have a bit of history, so you can you can dig back on that. And it's yeah, there's a lot to can be a lot to work with. So that's good. Uh, yeah. I mean the low the low hanging fruit is always like something associated with the the team's history, the region, like the city, yeah, the cities, yeah, um, the city, the state. If there are any, is that there's like anything of cultural significance to the team or to that area, um, local landmarks. I mean, there's. Yeah, there's a lot of different things that could be engaged that would resonate, that might resonate for one reason or another. Um, and then, of course, every team's got like, you know, it's like the, the uniqueness or the unique stories that they might have that are, um, if, if they can be translated to some sort of visual form, are always great to explore. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The um, That getting getting the Alidas job, that seems like a very, very formative part of, of your career. And those years must have been really valuable obviously working like this huge organization on something so cool and such a such a good opportunity to grow as well um how, how did you get the job uh you know and what age were you because so many people listening uh young yeah. designers and they would love to know how you get a job at adidas yeah i mean again first of all i'll say it was very it sounds even weird saying but it was different back then in that yeah. the like sports design space just was not the you know, it was not as big, it was not as competitive, like, teams didn't have in-house, like, a team might have yeah. one in-house designer, like, at most, and even, st like, yeah, the idea of, like, an in-house creative department was, it's like, they did not exist, I mean, like, yeah, I should say, I, I shouldn't make so many generalizations, but it was not as standard to have, like, multiple designers in-house, or, um, yeah, like design and creative services was just not like as big of a part of the sports world. I don't, I don't think, and I think a lot of that comes down to the, like the platforms and way that sports teams engage their communities. Like, you know, there were no like halftime score updates or like there were, there was no real time flow of content to be distributed. So none of that mm. stuff needed to be created. Um, yeah. And so it was, again, it was just very different back then. Um, but I, I got that, um, man, what was it? I think it was like not monster.com, but it was one of those just like online job boards that had this position, um, you know, design apprentice Adidas. Uh, and again, I, I went to school a little bit North of Boston. So I was familiar with the area. I'd actually graduated and moved home back down to Philly for a little while. 
Um, and then maybe this was probably about six or eight months after I graduated that this, this opportunity popped up. I applied for it. The, 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 the brief, I guess it was basically like, uh, they gave you a creative brief that you had to, you know, yep. create design based on. And it was like, create an identity for a seasonal, uh, game. So if you imagine like a special game that's played once a year, like come up with the branding and the uniform mm -hmm. design and all this sort of content around it. Um, and I, I did it and they liked it. And, um, I chose, there was a, I chose like a fictional, I think it was like 50th year anniversary game for Michigan lacrosse. And I don't even, I don't even nice. remember why I chose Michigan lacrosse, but, uh, yeah, I did. And I came up with, you know, like a uniform design for the, the team and like a, an event logo and some, some okay. special graphics and a, a collection of like marketing content pieces, like posters, that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, they, they liked it. It was just good enough. Um, you know, the, the position was not like it was at, at first it was a lot of grunt work and as I proved myself, so to speak, I got the opportunity to do a little bit more and more. Um, but again, I just, I don't think the sort of landscape of competition for these roles was nearly what it is now. So, yeah. So what would you, what would your advice be to people that uh, are looking for these jobs now, Adidas and even internships at these big companies, mm -hmm, if you had to do mm -hmm. it again, but now what, what would you do to stand out? You know, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would do a ton different in the fact that like ultimately the work will be the most influential factor. Uh, I mean, like solid references are always helpful. That's difficult though. If you're just trying to break into a career, like it's much different if you're trying to pivot within an industry or get a new career after you've established yourself. Um, so, you know, like references of, of character and all that are, are great, but it's, it's not going to do you too much if you, if you can't prove that you're capable of doing the work. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, again, I, I guess I would say whatever sort of whatever the creative challenge is that you just try to try to execute it at the level to which the organization that you're trying to be hired with, hired at is or better, like show that you can show them that you can do the work they're doing now or, or push it forward to the next level. And again, I know that's kind of, that's depending on what you're, what kind of job you're trying to land, that may be a pretty high bar, but in terms of hiring, like people aren't trying to hire people that are gonna lower the quality of work their organization does. So like, probably, like pretty, pretty simple, people wanna bring up people on who will help move the organization up and forward. So um, yeah, I guess that would be my, my best suggestion for starters in terms of like how you connect, engage, or attract attention. I, I don't think I have any great suggestions there. Like the, yeah, you know, like the media landscape is just much different these days. And yeah. so I, mean, I hear a lot of people make first connections on Instagram or Twitter or, or LinkedIn, you know, who knows? Um, that didn't happen to me, for me, but at the same time, it, it, it could be a totally, viable route these days yeah no exactly yeah i think that is good advice i mean it, it's not particularly obvious as well that because people will often do work to their best ability but if that's still under the bar of you know what they're setting at arsenal we were chatting about 
the the our bar being at Adidas's level because it's uh-huh. so much. It was so much at that point. It was so much higher than Arsenal's level, and it's fantastic to to really. And even now, I'm doing it. You know, as a one man design team at Surrey Cricket, it's mm-hmm. just it's um you know you look around and and see Man City or, or people that are doing. Have got big design teams, and they have a bar. And I'm always trying to make the the graphic or. And sometimes it falls short, but that's what happens when you're a one-man design team. You have to do design for everything. It's um, but you always have that bar, and that's a really good bit of advice to to have. Looking looking around at the best people and trying to match it, yeah, or better it, yeah. Yeah, and and like I don't want I don't want it to sound like it's not worth taking the shot if you don't feel like your work is at that level yet, because there are plenty of roles, or plenty of jobs where like you you don't have to be the best designer on the world to do a job at the level that it needs to be done like i think a lot of a lot of organizations teams agencies out there are looking for somebody who can do solid work and do it reliably mm-hmm. and like you know maybe you're not like breaking new ground or doing anything revolutionary in the design world but if you're like competent capable consistent reliable like a lot of people are looking for those qualities, so yeah, especially for a junior designer or an internship, or yeah, exactly, yeah. especially for that sort of stuff. And and also companies that want want to help grow their employees as well. So you know, yeah. yes, exactly. Uh, I forget what the the phrase or saying is, but you know, like the, the general idea that you can you can teach a skill, but you can't teach character. Like yeah, once yeah. you once you're 25 years old, like people's people. I'm not going to say are set in the set in their ways, but you know, a lot of their habits and standards and sort of ways of operating have been shaped and solidified by that point in life. Mm-hmm. Again, not saying that people can't change because I, I, I believe they can, but um, it's again, it's like, it's much easier to teach somebody a, a mechanical skill or even a design skill um, or even like a soft skill. If you can trust them and, you know, see their quality of effort, their quality of character. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm I'm screwed next year then. I've turned 25 next year. <laughs> I'm stuck in my ways. You're done. Time. You're locked in. No, I know. Yeah. Just put that disclaimer in there. <laughs> I mean, again, I think like, you know, it, it yeah, it's definitely like like people are, people are adaptable, and I think sometimes more yeah. than we expect of ourselves. But it is the sort of thing that you know, like if. Yeah, character is a little more difficult to mold and shape and reorient in comparison to like learning a new piece of design software. That's easy yeah. in comparison. Is that because so there's as um is it right that the the front prefrontal cortex of the brain like the the main bit the brain is fully developed at 25 and it doesn't stop growing and like around 25 is when it stops. I, I I couldn't tell you scientifically. I feel, I feel like I've heard that, I've heard heard that though. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I fact check on that, but I feel like I've heard that saying. <laughs> there's like a, uh, an age where we're yeah. done growing. But also, uh, there's a really interesting age because you, you you normally moved out of your your family's home. You're normally a full adult. You've been doing it for a couple of years. You're normally into your second or third job and. You're really um, starting to grow as an adult, and it's a—I mean, as as someone who's very close to that, it's very—it's uh, an exciting age, I think, um, as someone who's yeah. growing. Definitely, I mean, it is—it's an exciting in the fact that like you're done. Yeah, I guess most people are done with their like college 
education experience at that point and have, yeah, like entered a career path and, you know, probably spent a little time enough to feel like they've gotten their, their feet under them. And you start to think about, you know, like where, where you hope to go. And that's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. One, one thing I do want to chat to you about as well. Now, now, uh, just hearing like you said, you sounded like you listened to, uh, sorry, you watched a lot of, or looked at a lot of uh, brand guidelines for sports teams. Um, so I'm currently doing brand guidelines for Surrey cricket mm-hmm. and um, making this b- a big sort of document. What's like some some must haves that are in brand guidelines? Mm-hmm. I think the the biggest thing I would uh, try to keep in mind, and again, just my experience, but is just trying to keep it as simple and straightforward as possible. Is you have to think that like the people who really need this stuff the people who really need brand guidelines are not like the highly proficient designers. It's like, you know, somebody who's struggling to attach something to an email or, you know, it's like, maybe that's a dramatic example, but, you know, trying to make it as straightforward and simple as possible is, uh, you know, should always be kept in mind. Like nobody wants to open up a 200 page brand standards manual. Um, or at least for a designer. I've I yet to, that. I've yet to meet somebody <laughs> who enjoys that, but, yeah. um, yeah, I think, That's I think keeping point. it, keeping it streamlined and simple. Uh, I mean, like basic standards for like do's and don'ts when it comes to the, the implementation of your brand assets, whether that's logos or colors, layout type image, like what's okay, what's not okay. Um, clear examples of those always important and then again just making it like as efficient and straightforward as a design system as as can be like sometimes complexity can uh be a a mask for like a poorly thought through system in the same way that it's like sometimes it's easier to write a five-page essay than it is to write a two-page essay that makes sense like I know what you, mean. you need to like edit things down so that you get to the core so that you get to the most important stuff and then just be okay with the fact that like you're not you're maybe not outlining and specifying every single detail and you are constraining the way the brand can be presented but at least you know with more confidence that it'll be done properly and done consistently is that I, again good. I know the, the tricky thing with brand guidelines and brand standards is again it's really it's dependent on like what what the team or what the organization what their needs are what platforms of communication they have like who they're trying to reach what, what their strategy is but again i think like clearly defining what is acceptable and what is not accept not acceptable from the different brand touch points um again yeah like you can get carried away with outline outlining every single thing but you do also have uh, you know to a certain degree have to trust that pre- people will use their brains yeah and i, I think that's a, that's a great point as soon as you mentioned simplicity i was starting to think about what i'm doing for sorry and it's maybe mm-hmm. there's maybe there's a little bit of that creeping in where it's a bit it's more tailored towards designers than it needs to be yeah um so yeah I was in, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take that into work tomorrow yeah i, I <laughs> Yeah, again, I'd say, yeah, for what it's worth, you can, compared to the average employee, you can trust designers with the brand system a little bit more. But I, I think a lot of it has to be guided by 
your understanding of the organization. Um, like there are a lot of times when I think about, you know, a, an identity or brand system that I might be, be building or working on. And it's, it's exciting to think about, you know, like all these different, you know, logos, type, combination of these various elements, only to realize that like this school, this team, whatever, they may not have the resources or capability of implementing such a complex system in which mm -hmm. like, you yeah. need to put some boundaries on yourself to understand that like it's only helpful if they can use the tool you're giving them effectively. And so I think the same thing holds true with brand standards. If you're like putting together this really complex, intricate manual or, you know, a set of standards, if that can't translate to uh, like a consistently executed system, then it's not really accomplishing its goal. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. One thing I'm fascinated about with you as well, and, and like the way you speak about design, I think it's incredible. I, I love the way you speak about design. <laughs> Someone that's, you can you hear it in different designers, and it's it's um something that I'd like to get to. And I think over time speaking to this many people, I'll probably get there. But just you got a real solid understanding of 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 design and of um yeah, just the language that some design even i don't have like it's hard to explain but i just i just like the way you speak about design yeah well, <laughs> well thanks i mean I, I i don't know i think it's do you know what i mean at all like it, uh, it's to, like a higher to, level to a degree of... i think so i think it might be a little bit like an accent like you don't realize if you have an accent from a certain yeah. region or or uh, you know, like if you're from the South, you don't realize you have a Southern accent uh, or if you're from the North, like I'm from, my family's from Minnesota and we have like a slight, uh, like if I go home and see my relatives in Minnesota, it'll come out, you know, much more obviously. But yeah. even, even when I moved out here, some people were like, oh, are you, you know, you're from the Midwest? And, and so it's kind of like that where I guess I don't really realize the way I speak about it, but I think that just probably comes with, with time and being around, yeah. uh, other people talking about design <laughs> yeah that's 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 the trick it must be so how long have you been how long was it since your days at Alidas then so like go back and check my own <laughs> check my own uh, CV but I think uh, I think I finished there 2017 Seven, yeah 2015 2017 yeah, yeah. I was gonna say 17 um, so yeah it's been it's been a few years yeah so it's just over time and you're building up this yeah this really yeah i think solid like knowledge it definitely helps to be around like i've been primarily i guess what you would call in the branding space during my time so i would not have the like terminology or understanding that probably happens in conversation for somebody who focuses on marketing or like oh, yeah. social media content mm -hmm. like th there would be um yeah like like strategies thought processes happening there that would be over my head so it might be just the fact that i'm talking about what i understand the most yeah that makes a lot of sense I yeah, yeah 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 that's a good point yeah nice one i'll get there i will get there yeah yeah um, it, it comes yeah so i think talking about different projects that you've done so nashville sounds obviously close to my family's yeah uh, back in america now fair enough um, yeah What's uh, what was that project like? And, and that was that at Rare? Yeah, that was at Rare. So again, that was the agency that I was at after Adidas. Um, and they do a lot of work with all sorts of different leagues and, and teams. And um, Are they a sports design agency? Yes. Yeah. I mean, cool. I, I should say yes with the caveat that they also do work outside of sports. But I think 
that's almost every, even even every like sports design agency that I know does take do take clients like outside of sport. Um, but in terms of how they position themselves in the broader market, yeah, it's definitely as a sports branding agency. Um, nice. But that happened um, while I was there. I forget exactly when, but it was um, like the sounds have been kind of a established team in the minor league, uh, the minor minor leagues here for a while, and they just wanted to refresh, change. I, I honestly, I again, I apologize that I can't recall with enough clarity. I forget what the impetus for like, like why the change was going to happen. Um, yeah, but they're, they're like, like typically when a, a team is going to refresh or change their identity, there's a, there's a good reason, you know, whether it's new ownership or they want to shift the public perception of the team for some reason, if they want to um, like, establish that the team is moving in a new direction or a, a changing of direction, something like that. So um, the uh, the sounds, though, they just wanted to take their look and feel to a slightly more like kind of classic baseball look. One thing that happens in the, the minor leagues a lot is a more like illustrative and lighthearted and and I don't mean this in a diminutive kind of way, but like cartoony logos. Um, happens a lot more in the minor leagues. And, and so I think they wanted to move a little bit away from that. And again, more towards something that like, looks like it was from the 1950s or, you know, like it looks like a, a team that had just been around for a long, a, you know, a long time and have a more professional presentation. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it smashed it. I mean, for people who don't know as well, Nashville, uh, also named Music City, that's why mm-hmm. they're called the Sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, what sort of stuff did you play on uh, with with the branding and, um, and obviously that yes. city? Yeah, I mean, well, like you said, Music City, and and I got, I mean, I got a shout out to Rodney, to Brian, to Cody, to Marie, like the whole team, Ben. Uh, like even though we're talking about this project, that like there were a lot of people involved, so I don't want to. Yeah. Like I don't want to try to. No, I'm definitely gonna chat with some of these guys. Claim, I'm that, gonna... it was, claim that it was only me. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, full team behind this, and then the collaborators with the at the sound and and minor league baseball. But yeah, like the music theme was something that we really leaned into. I mean, like Nashville is known for its music scene. It's sort of like the the heritage behind that. And so, like, the, the visual representation of that, whether it was, like, the notes or the guitar pick or these just different visuals. And then also, like, uh, I guess, like, uh, Tennessee pride, like Nashville, Tennessee, sort of a degree of state pride. They have this three-star motif that's used pretty regularly. I think that the Predators actually use it, too, yeah, if I remember. Yeah, use it. Yeah, so, yeah, they got a shoulder patch. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So there was sort of a pride of the city, but then a broader, like, region and state that they wanted to incorporate. Uh, um, yeah, and then just, like, uh, I'm thinking back. I think, like, typographically, they wanted something that was, uh, again, felt like a little bit more, uh, not, like, worn and weathered, but just not quite as, like, crisp and precise as 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 you might see with... You know, like a design aesthetic that skews more like contemporary and futuristic, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah. a lot of a lot of the visuals had like rounded or softened corners just to give it a like, like a slightly more 
approachable look. Um, yeah, I, I mean, like, again, the, the strategy was not, like, the strategy for this one was a, was a little more straightforward in the fact that the the concepts and themes behind the team were pretty much aligned with Nashville and, like, the musical influence that the city had. So that, yeah, like, for, fortunately, that was a case where, like, you know, sometimes you have to do a little, like, sometimes the research process is, is like, uh, much more of a chore to find, to come up with, uh, like, solid and meaningful inspiration. In this mm. case, though, there was, like, plenty. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's such a smart logo, like, crest in the, yeah, I love it, I love it. And then, well, just talking about baseball teams and rebranding, see if you've worked on, uh, the, the other one that looks just like it's been absolutely nailed out of the park. And they must have, the team, the whole team must have been happy with the Milwaukee Brewers logo and branding you did. Yeah, again, shout out to the whole Rare team. Pretty much the same crew on that one. But, um, yeah, that, like, the, the ball and glove logo is, at least here in the States, one of the most, like, iconic and... Uh, highly regarded sports logos. It's like a very mm. clever logo, the original one. Um, and so I can't like take cre- take credit for any any sort of the conceptual thinking. It was like the the goal was to uh, take that logo to its natural evolution. Um, but again, prioritizing and preserving its its like essence, the like the the fundamental bones of it. Um, but yeah, again, that was a, a really exciting project that was a long project and most of these like quote unquote major league projects are much longer. Like they can be yeah, like six months to 16 months or longer. It's like really all over the place. Some of them happen faster than you might expect, but some of them take forever. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I can imagine changing, so like coming up with an identity for such a big team, and yeah, yeah of course it takes a while. Lots of people to sign well, it off as well. Yeah, there's so much. There's so many more. Like at the the higher you go, the more stakeholders there are, the more voices that need to be heard and need to be appeased. Sometimes, um, the more risk there is, and that's a big influence yeah. in in the process of a rebrand. It's like you, you might not realize it, but a lot of these teams really do like are aware of their fan base and trying to make sure that their like voices are heard, that they're not going to do anything that is going to alienate or frustrate their existing fans. As much as it happens as a new logo might come out and people might, you know, bag on it or really uh, feel like they're not heard. uh, A lot of the teams really do try to make that a priority. Um, and so that's just a more involved process at a higher level like this. And then even things like quality control and testing with manufacturers takes, it, you know, it, that that's not a big process for a, like a smaller, low-level semi-pro team. Sometimes it's not even mm. a process that happens at all. But at these yeah. higher levels, you know, the uh, practical execution of any design direction has to be taken into account before it's even, you know, before it's moved forward. Like, have to make sure that Nike or Adidas or whoever is going to be making this stuff can make it and is like everybody is giving it a thumbs up. Yeah, I didn't. It, that's something that completely slipped my mind. I mean, having I mean, there's so many NDAs on these sort of projects, mm-hmm. but like that's 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 something that's, yeah crazy. Like if you want to change your your identity, you know the manufacturer has to be able to make it properly and the stitch yeah. has to be perfect. Like wow. Well, yeah. Uh, 
I mean, I, I won't say that that's always like a huge constraint because there are like artists what we might describe as like a tech artist who is uh, who like works for Adidas or Nike, who is whose job more or less is to help execute a given design direction. But again, like the number of of approvals these marks have to go through, it would like usually a flag would be raised at some point if there was a you know like a, a design solution proposed that was just like couldn't be embroidered for some reason. Like usually somebody would say, "Hey, we can't do that." Yeah. Um, and so it's just yeah. kind of like the the natural limitations of the mediums we work with. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sweet. Um, that's fascinating stuff. I mean, how how many stages of of uh, well, how long did this, this project took? Uh, boy, well, actually, the the Brewers was happening before I even arrived. Like they were, they had, mm. they were in the initial. They had gone through some of the initial discovery strategy um phases and even some of the initial design and then i was around for the majority of it and then even like so i was at rare uh like literally at rare in-house for about a year and then i had i, I freelanced and freelance with them still occasionally um afterwards so it actually like was it had, it had started before i arrived and didn't officially wrap until after i had left so, and then a lot of these projects also like they'll happen and then they won't be public for another four, yeah. six, eight, twelve 12 months. So crazy. Yeah. It's just that it's just the timelines that, uh, the production timelines and develop production development approval timelines mean that things just happen at a slower pace. Mm, typically yeah. again, disclaimer, typically. What, um, are you all right for time by the way? Yeah. I'm good. Okay, good. Yeah. Cool, cool. Um, I just just realized what time, how long we've we been going. But uh, no, I know, I know. That's why I actually wanted to no, do it later in the day, so I knew I had the afternoon open. Amazing. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. So, uh, could you talk a little bit through the process of these rebrands? How, what are the different stages of sign off, and sort of, is that too long to explain? Well, I mean, I can give you a short version or a long yeah. version or a medium version. Um, I mean, it's not unlike any standard design process. Again, I will say like every project is unique in terms of the way a process like moves forward, how quickly you might move from one stage to another. But almost every project has like what you might describe as a discovery and strategy phase where you're having conversations, researching, dialogue with the client, trying to understand like what their goals are, what they're trying to accomplish, what the deficiencies in their current system are, or what weaknesses they want to address, like what the purpose and reason for a change might be. Um, and sometimes this also might uh, include like focus groups or uh, like okay, poll polling is maybe not the right word, but uh, yeah, like like engaging the community. So yeah, you know, like having sit downs and dialogue with fans of various uh, backgrounds, and you know, like your diehard fan versus your casual fan. Um, but again, this is all just in an effort to to most clearly understand the situation and uh, how you can effectively move forward. So that happens in a lot of different ways and in a lot of different speeds. Like sometimes this process happens pretty quickly and like sometimes it's literally just a few calls with 
like the owner and key stakeholders, sometimes it's a much, much more involved process. And typically the like bigger and more high profile a team is, the more time will be spent on the research and strategy to make sure that it's sound before moving forward with any, any design. Yeah. Um, then like once everybody's kind of aligned and signed off on the given strategy, um, you move into concept exploration and ideation. And again, that can come in any variety of forms. If it's just like, like sometimes people like to gather references and mood boards first and get approval on that saying like, um, you know, here's, here's the agreed on strategy. Here's we, here's how we see that translating into visual exploration, a visual ex execution, I should say. Um, typically as like a secondary means to make sure everybody's on the same page and everybody's agreeing because sometimes things can be spoken in word, but your understanding of the words might be a little different in your brain. Like you might be picturing something different than I might be picturing. So again, like as a, as a way to make sure everybody's in agreement, those like references, references and mood boards can be helpful. Um, but again, just making sure everybody's on the same page, then we typically get into like rough sketching and, and ideation. And really, depending on the client and how tight the brief is, that could be a more broad shotgun approach where you're just like, you know, we have three, five, six, whatever different buckets, different ideas that we're trying to explore within, but we're trying everything and anything. Um, some other ones are like a very, a much tighter brief in terms of what the parameters or, or bounds for exploration might be. Um, and so... In those cases, yeah, it might be a fewer number of directions explored, but you might dive into the, the details and the nuances of what you're working on uh, a little quicker than you might in a, in a different project. Yeah, yeah, nice. Mm. That's a good overview. Um, what about afterwards as well? Like, so after after the project um, is done, uh, when when do you get to say, oh, I made this, this is part of my portfolio now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is a, that's again, very, it's dependent on the project, dependent on agreements between, um, you know, like the, the client and the, whoever is in charge of the project. So like if I'm, if I'm doing a work direct to client and have an agreement, pretty much the standard understanding is that like, once it's made public to the public, once it's public to the public, of course, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, once, once they launch it, like you want to let them present it in the way you present it. So like you, you, you let them do that. Um, if I was working directly with the client, typically then I would be, you know, within my rights to go ahead and share it publicly how I want to, but there are plenty of times with like subcontracting for agencies or depending on the relationship where an agency, um, may have an agreement with the client that, it's 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 like confidential for a certain period of time or also confidential indefinitely that the agency provided that service so it is really and, and like that might sound strange but there are actually there are actually reasons why teams and agencies have to have a mutual understanding around like what will be displayed publicly um and like who who can claim any degree of involvement. Um, a lot of times it just comes down to like the clarity of the messaging and making sure it's presented consistently because especially larger projects, sometimes there are, you know, like there are a lot of people involved and if you just let everybody go out and say whatever they want, uh, 
it may not be as tight and concise or well presented as the, the you know the team or agency might want so yeah it's really yeah that, that is dependent and there's everything from like full confidentiality you can't say anything ever um or like there are also plenty of times when you as a you know a freelancer or a contractor might be able to share it publicly as soon as the team does mm. yeah that's um i mean it, not being able to say anything ever is uh, pretty frustrating from a design point of view. Yeah, I mean, I won't say it's not, but you just like you have to kind of make sure you're on the same page as whoever it is that is in charge of the the project. Because if you like, if yeah. you go into a project understanding that you won't be able to share it publicly, that's your choice. You can do that. It is it is certainly frustrating, especially if it's work that you're proud of and feel like is a good representation of your skills. But again, it's your choice whether or not you want to work on that project. So it's like, you know, it's up, up to you to weigh the odds and make the call. Yeah. Again, it's yeah, it's something a bit more for that. It's it's something that I yeah, I'm conflicted on because I can see both sides of the argument. Like I can see why it's important yeah. to keep uh, messaging and presentation of content consistent and how letting anybody with any amount of involvement, you know, present it however they might could cause problems, could cause issues, uh, could cause confusion. Like I understand that, but at the same time, of course, we are like, we're creative. We're putting a lot of time and energy and investment into these projects. And we want at the end of the day, like you want to be able to showcase what you can do. Um, not always even you know sometimes just because you're proud of it and you want to share it sometimes very practically as a means of moving forward your career i mean like mm -hmm. the reason people hire people is because their portfolio showcases a certain capability and so if you can't put that work into your portfolio it certainly slows you down yeah that's it that's, that's a great point and brings me nicely onto the presentation of your work because that's something that I don't see from many designers at your level. Your your level of presentation is fantastic. Uh, how how have you? Is this something you've learned at Adidas or, or, or rare, or, or is this something you've yeah. seen but from someone else? And you, know, you clearly spent a lot of time on it. Yeah, I would say it's just something that's evolved over time. Like yeah, I don't. I've always appreciated like seeing other designers present work in a, in uh, to a depth that showcases much more than just the final logo. Like I like seeing those yeah. rough initial ideas. I like an explanation of what the thought process, what the creative brief was. I like seeing, you know, whenever it's possible ideas that were explored that failed. Like, I think that's much more beneficial to understand the process, understand the thinking understand what went into a project and I, I, I think is a better representation of someone's um, capabilities and expertise in an area than just showing a final logo. So it's a fine line too because it certainly it takes up a lot more time and effort to put together and curate that kind of content but I guess the reason I do it is because it's, it's what I appreciate when I'm looking at other people's work. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, this is something that I'm definitely, um, definitely going to think about going forward is, is presentation of work and something I'm going to take away from this podcast. Cause, yeah. So like, look, even looking uh, for everyone who's listening to this, definitely go on your, on, on Jeremy's website and just have a look at the way your website presented. Like, who, who, what website 
service do you use? Do you use uh, Squarespace or do you code it yourself? Oh, like, yeah. Use... Well, actually, so yeah, I, I, I was on Wix first. Yeah. And then I was on Squarespace. Classic starter. And then I built a site on Webflow, which is what I use now. Which okay. is okay, not, yeah. um, definitely not something I recommend for everybody. And I sometimes look back on it wondering if it was the right decision. But more times than not, <laughs> I feel like it was. Um, Man, it looks amazing. It is. Webflow is a more involved uh, way of, of putting together a site. But if you're reasonably competent with Illustrator and Photoshop and have a rough understanding of CSS and HTML and sort of how websites are structured, um, it's, it's actually a pretty user-friendly platform to pick up and you probably probably pick it up in a weekend if you spend um, you know a little time watching tutorials. They have a lot of fantastic educational content online, but it is yeah. again. I'll just put out the disclaimer: it is a much more involved process than something like Squarespace. <laughs> and I think for a lot of people, Squarespace does the job just fine, or or a Squarespace yeah. equivalent, whatever that might be for you. So I, so it's not it's, for me. It's not just the the website you're using, but also like the photos you're taking, the angles you're taking at the photo, the photos mm-hmm. you're you're highlighting different parts of sketches. Mm-hmm. Um, you're using a lot of textures in your presenting as well. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's all sorts of of stuff that makes your presentation work fantastic as well. Yeah, I, again, I hope I I never want it to feel like I'm overselling things, but. Yeah, like I, it doesn't. It, it just gives it a really nice, classy, yeah. high end. Like this has had a lot of thought put into it because you can have, cause like, right? You can have amazing logos and and branding work that's been done and a lot, lot of times been thought into it. But if you're presenting it as a flat picture, which I'm probably guilty of quite a bit, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't, it doesn't give it as justice that it deserves. Yeah, yeah. Again, I think like, again, the quality of the work has to be there. But at the same time, I feel like the way it's presented is also an opportunity to send a message and say something about that work and say something about the person behind that work. And so, again, I just feel like it's it's an opportunity and why not make the most of it or at least try. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a great, that's a great part to uh, to end this podcast on. But so, so there's so much. So I've told you I've got notes for this podcast and I haven't gone through <laughs> like half of them so we're gonna to have to do an episode two on this or, or like yeah, at least another part yeah, i thought so it's okay <laughs> only if you want to but uh, no no i, I, I absolutely i just i knew i knew we would burn through the clock pretty quick <laughs> like uh, you haven't got so a little teaser for the next episode if we do one you know typefaces and working with athletes or, or on athlete branding um yes. you know, rather than just team athlete rather than just team branding right working on it, branding for specific people mm-hmm. which is very interesting uh, so yeah that will be on the on the next episode at some point um so i guess it, to, to, to nail this off then uh, the last couple of questions that i'd like to ask people on the podcast um so first of all who, whose work do you really enjoy looking at oh boy um are we talking within like a within sports or broadly or like any any constraints any boundaries however you want to ask that answer oh, that yeah boy. um Well, um, I really enjoy Hans Zimmer's music. He's a film composer, nice. so if you need good music to work through, he's uh, he's a reliable option. Um, I like uh, there's an artist named Ash Thorpe whose work I really appreciate. He's not particularly he's not in the sports world. He is more in 
like CG, digital art, um, it's a lot of different things, but he is a little bit, I guess what you might describe as a Renaissance artist and that he's, he's, he's proved himself to be highly proficient at a variety of skills. And, and I really admire that because I've, I've found myself drawn to different types of creative expression at different times and being able to, to do them at such a high level is something I aspire to. So, I, and then just like aesthetically, I think a lot of his work just looks really cool. Sweet. Good answers. Yeah. yeah. Hans Zimmer was a, a, an answer that I didn't expect. And when you, but yeah, yeah. Good answer. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, Hans, Hans is a, it's a solid go-to. <laughs> um, what advice do you, I mean, you've given quite a lot of advice on this podcast anyway, but uh, if you had one bit of advice you'd give to yourself before you got that Adidas job, what would it be? Um, hmm. I think I would just tell myself to give it a shot, like give it a try. I was, when I was getting into the sports design world or the design world in general, I, I was not, like as much as I said, I've always been creative. I didn't particularly see myself following a career into the creative world. So I was hesitant. I had mixed feelings at first about whether or not this was even something I wanted to do. I mean, I think we all still, at least I, I still have days when I'm like, you know, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Uh, but maybe everybody asks those questions. At the same time, I think like, you know, getting into something, you don't know what you don't know. You most often, most often won't know until you try. So if there's an opportunity that's presented to you and you're, modestly curious i'd say just give it a shot and see if you enjoy it nice good advice and uh the most interesting question throughout the whole of the podcast the best purchase under a hundred dollars yes or a new part of this question you can give a life hack as well oh life hack <laughs> all right well i mean life hack i'll say take uh I could say take movement breaks regularly because that's a great one i i mean i know maybe not all jobs might afford this opportunity. So disclaimer, I guess, but, um, yeah, I, I find myself getting very stiff and very tight, spending a lot of time doing, uh, not much with most of my body other than my hands and my, my fingers. Oh, yeah. So I take, you know, plenty of breaks throughout the day to get up, walk around, stretch, go to the gym, whatever. Um, just to keep my body and mind fresh. So I think that's, it's, it's easy to get lost in your work and kind of forget about yourself sometimes, but it, I just always often, I, I never regret taking a few minutes to just like reset my mind and body. Um, do you have a timer or do you just, just not, do it? not particularly. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, not, not on time it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess just get up and take care of whatever stiffness and aches you have. Um, that's good. Best purchase? Do you want to, uh, again, yeah. any category or just anything? No, doesn't have to be design. Best purchase, we've had, I'll give you a few examples. Okay. We've had tickets, well, plane if, tickets, we've had travel tickets, we've had pens, all sorts. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't want to like default to like a set of markers or pens or sketchbook yeah. or anything like that. Not that that's bad. I mean, that's essential. But, um, I'd say uh, one thing uh, is like a quality kitchen knife, like a quality chef's knife or paring knife. Because yeah. if you get a good one, you'll have it for years. And I just find it to be one of those things that I use every day 
and is worth the investment of, you know, up to a hundred bucks to make sure it's good quality. Uh, and then you're set. So wow, I, I'm such an adult. I was, so I was thinking about this earlier on and <laughs> it's crazy you brought it up, but it, it, I was washing, doing the washing up and, um, our knives are great knives, but they're, they're fairly cheap and, um, yeah, the classic like colored knives and the, it's obviously got a plastic coating on it, and where we've washed it so many times, or put it in a dishwasher, is um, the coating on the on the handle sort of rubbing off. Yeah. So it's a bit sticky. So I was just thinking, oh, it would be good to get a nice knife. Yeah. For Christmas. And there you well, go. And then you mentioned about knives, so it's meant to be. Yeah. It's one of those things where if you know the the mediocre quality ones will work for a while, but they they show their quality and they they don't stay sharp as long, or yeah, like the the grip might not be good. So, uh, yeah, the poor quality knife is it's only going to hurt you in the end. Quite literally. That's good. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, well, yeah, there you go. Where can people find you and uh, say hello to you on social media? Um, I get, uh, Instagram is probably the best, to be honest. And this is maybe another topic for the, for the part two. Um, I'm not really on social media a whole lot. Like, uh, I'll, I'll respond if you shoot me a DM or anything like that. But I'm not very active, and that's intentionally. Um, so Instagram, though, you can find me. Um, and yeah, that'd probably be the best place. Sweet. There you go. That's the podcast. You've absolutely smashed that. What an episode. There you go. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you to the audience for listening. <laughs>